Today, we're going to be talking about something I am very passionate about, and I'll try not to talk till Thursday. We'll keep it tight. <clears throat> but this is the concept of living the gospel. Living the gospel. I know it sounds so big, but it's very convenient. The whole Bible talks about this. We're just going to take it from Ephesians 4. But first, I want to tell you a story. Well, I want to relate with you for a sec. Anybody gone snowboarding or wakeboarding? Yeah, one, two, three, four, maybe just a few of us. Well, it's not like skiing with two skis. You got to choose. You got to have one foot behind and one foot in front. And the best way to do that, best way to teach somebody which foot needs to go in front or behind is push them. (laughs) You push them off balance and that strong foot will go behind. That's going to be the foot that needs to be in the back. You'll find out if they're goofy-footed or regular-footed by pushing them off balance. That is what the gospel should be to believers, that strong foot. When you're pushed, that is your balance. That is your strength. And that is the core of the message today, is how to make that gospel your strong foot. What does that look like? What does that mean? What is the heart? Um, What needs to change in a heart for that? Um, and what needs to change in a mind for that to be your reflex and your strength? <clears throat> As Christ imitators, we need to put God's opinion of our lives above the world. And when life pushes you off balance, it'll reveal whose opinion you value more. It'll reveal what you depend on. And there really are only two choices, the wisdom of God and the word of God or the wisdom of the world. We need to be desperate to please him in everything we do calm water, stormy water. And thankfully, the Bible is entirely sufficient to inform us in that regard. The Bible says we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is breathed from God and it is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be what? Complete, equipped for every good work. And what does that mean? What are those good works? That's how you should live as a believer. The Bible has everything we need to be fully equipped for every good work. It needs to be our strong foot. The book of Ephesians is uh, verse 1 of chapter 1 mentions that he's writing it to faithful people and it is so rich with descriptions of the blessings we have in Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them as a prep to where we're getting. These people are faithful believers. You have heard the Bible taught for years. Pastor Matt is so faithful to teach the Bible so clearly and the gospel just soaks his messages I pray that you are faithful in your daily life. I'm going to assume that you are faithful people. This message is for you. Let's read Ephesians 4, 17 through 5-2. I'll give you a moment to rustle your pages, and then we'll start. Ephesians 4, 17. <clears throat> I want you to note in your mind as we read this the gospel content, because biblical living equals gospel living, and vice versa. And the more you learn about the Bible, the deeper you're going to get into the gospel. I guarantee it. So here we go. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. 
And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him. Just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new self, which, is in, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ has loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. As this was addressed to faithful people, we need to start with your identity as one who has been made new. One who has been made new. And that knowing God sets us apart. In verse 17, it uses the word Gentiles. That Greek word is ethnos, where we get the word ethnic. And in the New Testament, it talks about, it uses this word in two different ways. One to describe non-Jews, Gentiles, just as we understand it. The other way the Bible uses the word ethnos is to talk about those who do not know God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 5 says, Not in the passion of lust like the ethnos who do not know God. And Ephesians 2, 11 says, Therefore remember that at one time you ethnos in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. We see both definitions in that second verse there. But this ethnos is our new identity. We are a new people separate and different because we know God. And that being made new separates you from those who aren't in Christ. It's not that we're adjusted or added to. Sometimes we like to use the word accept Jesus in or invite him in. That is not the situation. It is a hostile takeover. Your old man dies and a new man lives. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New is here, old is gone. It is not an addition or an adjustment. It is a takeover. Gone is the old, here is the new. Here's the rub. Even though we are new creations, we have been made new and we are more different from sinners than we will be when we're glorified. When we get to heaven, we'll be less different than we are now than we were before Christ and after Christ. But we still have this dirty outfit on. 
this body of flesh that Paul talks about, especially in Romans 7. He talks about the sin that is in me. We've been made new, yes, but we've got these dirty old clothes on, this flesh that has known sin, the deceitful desires, as this passage talks about. We still know it. So we need to learn to put it off, and that is just the process of sanctification. The process of becoming more like Jesus every day, of learning to shed these dirty old clothes and put on the new clothes of the new man, what we've been freed for. That's the struggle. That's the struggle. And if you're content in your dirty old clothes, there's a bit of a warning in this passage for that as well. But as we grow closer to God, we should be more and more sensitive to the filth we've got on us. This, these dirty clothes... Be, just intolerable. In verses 17 through 19, we learn a, a profile of those who do not know Christ and are content to wear their dirty clothes because their heart hasn't been made new. They can't even recognize the dirt. We see some harsh words like futility of mind, futility of mind, which is useless empty, accomplishes nothing, performs nothing, gains nothing, useless, harsh language. But that is what it is like apart from Christ. A different ethnos, useless mind, futile. And then in verse 18, darkened in their understanding, darkened in their, in their, in their understanding, which literally means their ability to reason in their minds has been blinded, has been covered with something opaque, your ability to reason is blinded. This is especially a challenging in our culture, which is so educated. We have such an educated society, overeducated society. You've got radio DJs who have degrees in zoology. I met one. It's weird. What a culture we live in. <laughs> We've got so much education in this society. God has made himself visible. They refuse to see it. 2 Timothy 3.7 says, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Romans 1.21 says, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, blinded their ability to reason and process in their useless mind and hardness of heart that leads to ignorance of God and alienation from him. This is in verse 18 still, the ignorance in them because of the hardness of their hearts. <clears throat> this denial of the truth of God is a willful ignorance of the dying. And it comes from the hardness of their hearts. And all this is coupled necessarily with alienation from God because you can't know God and still be like this because that knowledge of God is what makes you a different ethnos. I hope this is uncomfortable a little bit. This is harsh language for those who are dying and lost. It should shake up the confident and give confidence to the shaken a little bit, right? Whew. This process culminates in the scariest bit. In verse 19, it says, They have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. With greediness. Because of their blindness and ignorance, they become insensitive like my fingertips from playing guitar, insensitive, callous, unfeeling. 
become insensitive to their immorality and shameless in their desire for and practice of impurity. Some translations say it's past feeling, like seared. It's like a spiritual Maillard reaction for the cooks. They have no sense, no awareness of the danger of sin, so they indulge themselves. And when their conscience is seared, there's nothing left to limit their pursuit of sin. And verse 19 even says they're greedy for it. An avarice for impurity and sin. Those of you who are faithful are not like that. Those who have been made new are not like that. Praise God. We have a different identity. We have a different path. And it starts in our minds. When we come to the Lord, we are made new. Those who lived Live, don't know Christ, live in direct opposition to Christ and independent from him, but as new creations, we need to look differently. And to look differently, we need to learn to think differently. Verse 20 and 21 says, You did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. There's a lot of mind and knowledge words here, which is very important and we'll dig into that a little bit more lately, but, uh, later, but I want you to note this. Verse 17 talks about minds. 18 talks about understanding versus ignorance. Verse 20 says learned. Verse 21, taught. 23, minds. 25 talks about falsehood and truth. This is essential because you cannot be made new in your heart without different thought process. You can't put off and put on the old garment for the new garment without being renewed in your minds. And what renews your minds? The word of God. You cannot be an active, growing believer without digging into scripture. You cannot separate these things. Knowing scripture is, is, is the, the essential the foundation for all of this. As knowledge of Christ renews your mind, your sensitivity to sin grows. We see it opposite pictures here. When Paul goes on, he gives us examples of righteousness, of, of the results of a renewed mind. But I want you to know that his, his statements are definitive. Are, there's no wiggle room. A renewed mind doesn't make excuses for sin. They don't self-justify or claim extenuating circumstances. Sin is sin. And a growing intolerance for that sin in your life is a mark of a renewed mind. Someone who's constantly putting off dirty clothes and putting on clean clothes. It's just like, I was just thinking of our, my kids who always have sticky hands. I can't tolerate sticky hands. I hope that's a sign of maturity in you as well. As you grow, you learn to tolerate less and less sticky hands. This is kind of what we're talking about here. But let's go through this list. He talks about putting off lies and speaking the truth. Be angry, but without sin, which is a whole different sermon. Don't steal, but work hard and give generously. Don't use corrupting language, but only choose words that build up others in timeliness and grace. Don't grieve the Spirit. Be sensitive to Him. Put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Put on kindness, tenderness, forgiving the way Jesus forgave, and you will never be able to outforgive Jesus. There should be no limit to your forgiveness. Imitate God and walk in love as Christ did. This is directly opposite to the way those who are dying live. This is a sacrificial life of putting to death self and living for someone else. The world says that is 
wrong. The Bible says that is the only way. In love, Christ gave himself up as a sacrifice to God. And that is how we should live, not selfishly, but sacrificially. And that's just reflecting the gospel of Jesus. Do you guys see? This is inseparable from the gospel. The gospel is preached to faithful people as passionately as preached to the lost. You never grow up out of it. You only grow deeper into it. Hope you see that. This is our balance, our strong foot. When we learn Christ and are saved, he fills us with his truth and our minds can be renewed. Where there was once shamelessness, our shame leads us to the cross of kindness to repent. Where there was once hardness of heart, we are alive in Christ and sensitive to his spirit. Where there was once ignorance and alienation, we now know God and are intimately connected to him. Where there was once blindness, now we can see And what are we seeing? We're seeing the truth of the gospel and the beauty of the cross of Christ, the shame that he took for us. Where there was uselessness in our minds, we are now renewed and able to understand the spiritual things leading to wisdom. That different way of thinking, that renewal of our minds saves us from the destructive pattern of the ethos who do not know God. We are different head and heart. We're going to spend the rest of the time now talking about taking it home because this, for those who know the gospel, is clear. Again, the difficulty is changing those clothes, isn't it? It's taking that home and walking that out. How does does the gospel affect your Tuesday? How does it affect your Friday night and your weekend? How does the gospel affect us day to day? Because you should be looking more like Jesus day to day. Beware, body of Christ, there is an ongoing and eternal difference between the wisdom and thinking of the world and the wisdom and thinking of Jesus. This leads to radically different lifestyles and radically different method of navigating the storms of life. Radically different. Dead, alive, dirty, clean, ignorant, useless, wise, and knowing. You can't mix these things. What is the wisdom of the world? It is self-glorification, self-gratification, self-justification. It is blind, ignorant, useless, callous, shameless. The wisdom of God revealed in, revealed in his word is the story of the gospel of Christ. That is how we are sanctified, how our minds are renewed. You aren't saved by the gospel and sanctified by worldly wisdom. The gospel is our strong leg and our balance. It should be what we depend on for living life with the same desperation we believed in it for salvation. Let me give you an example where the world will tell you that someone who struggles with drinking has alcoholism. The Bible says that man is a drunk. Different words, different heart, different responsibility of self. Where the, Bible, where the world says that child who says, No, and does the opposite, has oppositional defiance disorder. The Bible calls that a rebellious heart. (laughs) These things that the world likes to label in us, the the DSM is full, which is the, oh man, I forget what that stands for, but it's the mental health practitioner textbook, it's their Bible, has all sorts of fancy labels for sin. Really, it's just a fancy label guidebook for sin. (laughs) 
world likes to take responsibility off of us and place it on an external source saying, oh, you're fine, you're a masterpiece. It just has a little mud on it. You just got to wipe that off and you're great. The world has done this to you. You are fine. The world has done this to you. You are good. You are just as is. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. What you feel in your heart is right. Follow that. Don't let anyone tell you what you feel is wrong. Even to the point of something that's so clearly binary and every cell of our body has a male or female, the world has said, no, what you feel is more important. Blinded, ignorant, lost. That's what this passage calls deceit. It's the deceitfulness of corrupted lifestyle. In verse 22, that former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. The Bible says our hearts are deceitful above all else. Again, this continual renewal only comes from deeper understanding of the gospel and its implications. It goes deeper and deeper, putting off the old man, putting on the new. That only comes with an increasingly deeper understanding of the word of God, which is the gospel of Christ and its implications in your daily life. If you have been redeemed and your goal is to glorify God daily, this is your textbook. It's not O Magazine or Dr. Oz or whatever else it may be. It's not from the world. That's useless for what our goal is and should be. A deeper knowledge and understanding helps you identify sinful heart attitudes in you that need to be replaced by spirit-filled attitudes. This concept of put off, put on is nestled really nicely into repentance, turning from one thing to the opposite thing. I hope you know repentance is a military term. It's about face. It's not glance over your shoulder. About face. You are turning from one thing to another thing. Again, we are not adjusted when we come to Christ. We are taken over, dead, and remade. The gospel should be everywhere in your life. So, when life pushes you off balance, have you trained your mind to be renewed? Have you trained your mind to rely on Scripture? Have you trained your mind Have you filled it with God's word to get to know him? If we're to be imitators of Christ, we need to know the character of Christ. You don't get that from the world. I love this concept so much because it helps. It helps so much. When something happens in my marriage, who do I look to first? It's not her. It's me. What does my heart want? How is that lying to me? How is that leading me astray? How can I do better to put this off? Usually when I'm annoyed, it's because I'm doing something wrong. Honestly. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another in love. When life pushes you off balance, there is so much wisdom here. Now, it's not going to tell you how to cure cancer. Um... It's not going to tell you um, good nutrition. It tells you how to glorify God. It gives you the heart attitudes you need to put on 
in order for that stuff to come out when you're making these decisions that are, seem extra biblical, that Spirit of God in us, coupled with our knowledge of the Word, informs us and guides us. When you think about the internet and your children, I heard a pastor once say that he would rather give his child a loaded gun than, un- than unfettered access to the internet. Internet's not mentioned in the Bible, but what do we see on the internet? We, we see kind of a concentrated dose of the character and wisdom of the world. When we look at our kids, it's not just about not hitting. It's about loving others. When, some, when we're playing at the park or playing at a play date and someone takes a toy from your child, Do you jump to defend them and say, no, give that back to my kid? Or do you take the opportunity to teach them about loving others and turning the other cheek? That is not the the way the world would have you train your kids. That's the way the Bible would have you train your kids, though, because that's how Jesus wants us to live. And if we're to train our kids to be in the knowledge and discipline of the word, we have to look radically different than the world, and the world will hate it. The Bible tells us that Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from them. The world calls that abuse when you spank your kids. There is direct opposition. There is a war between this and that. If you don't experience any sort of spiritual tension in your life, in the world, with your politics, with your job, you may need to look at where you're getting your wisdom. These things don't mix It is a radically different life, a whole different ethos. Timothy Keller, um, an author and pastor I respect, he wrote my second favorite marriage book, said we never get beyond the gospel in our Christian life to something more advanced. The gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths, rather it is more like a hub in a wheel of truth. The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A through Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make progress in the kingdom. Do you preach the gospel to yourself? Do you allow your mind to be renewed and filled with the wisdom of the word of God? Or are you looking to the world to teach you how to glorify God? Do you have the goal of glorifying God? The Bible has everything we need for this. I'm going to read my favorite, favorite passage on the sufficiency of Scripture here because I have time. We're going to get out early today, folks. You're welcome. Let's go to Psalm 19, verse 7. We're going to start there. I cut this out of the first draft of my outline because I didn't think I would have time, but this is just so beautiful. I am so thankful for the opportunity to share this with you. Psalm 19, verse 7, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. 
In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This Bible contains the question, the answer to your questions. It's the key to that locked door, the ladder to that wall, the machete to your thicket. It is the way through and up. It is the way to manage storms, trials, sin, and suffering in your life. The only answer, as we saw in Ephesians 4, there's futility and uselessness one way leading to callousness and greediness for sin. And there's another way that leads to life and godliness. The world has no clue how to glorify God. We need to stay desperate for God's word, dependent on the Holy Spirit. Do not compromise. Do not try to integrate. That doesn't work. Let's pray. Lord, Father, God, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. Keep us desperate for your word, dependent fully on prayer. Grow us and strengthen us in you. Please, Father God, help us become more and more sensitive to the sin in our life and the deceit of worldly wisdom, God. Help us flee from it. Help us parents, parents according to the truth of the word, not into the false hope of the world. As employees, help us be a light, unafraid of looking different. As citizens, help us stand firm in truth, unswayed by the popular opinion which leads to death. Let us be a light in the world, not a shaky candle, but a lighthouse, warning the world of the danger to come, the destruction that comes from the rocks that are hidden, Father God. Change lives, open hearts, soften minds, God, and help us be an agent of change in this town as we bring the word to the lost, unafraid of what they will do to us as we want to glorify you. God, I pray that this town is changed by your word, your truth, your gospel. We love you, Father God. Change our week because of your word. Amen.